It's Thursday, November 25th. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Supply chain issues have plagued various industries as we continue on our way back from the pandemic. Now it is coming for America's supply of pies. Compounding the issue is climate and bad weather effects on pretty much every ingredient in our favorite pies. Case in point is Tampa-based Mike's Pies, who is struggling to fulfill orders and maintain stock of ingredients, starting with their graham cracker crumb vendor. Laura Riley, business, a food reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for how even after supply chain issues get resolved, climate change still poses a problem. Next, Thanksgiving is here and it's time to talk about our favorite foods. To end the show today, we will give you the official Thanksgiving food power rankings. We will speak to Lucas Kwan Peterson, food columnist at the LA Times, for his take on where all your favorite Thanksgiving foods rank. A little preview of what you're in for, turkey ranks dead last in this list, pumpkin pie doesn't fare much better, and cranberries might just be the most controversial food item. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. So then I had to go to ag experts and say, what do you say? (laughs) And indeed, a lot of the problems that we're seeing right now are related to things like drought or extremely high heat or floods and rain. Joining us now is Laura Riley, business of food reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Oh, happy to be here. Wanted to continue talking about what's going on with the food industry and use Mike's Pies as kind of an example with what's going on with everything from supply chain issues and a little more specifically climate change and how extreme weather is really messing up the pie supply, you know, going right into the holidays. It's kind of the perfect example for all of it. But Mike's Pies is a, a, a company based out of Tampa. They make pies. They sell it to places like Red Lobster, Winn-Dixie, things like that. Uh, so you might have seen their pies somewhere before. But just about every step of their production process has been hampered by either supply chain issues or climate change things, you know, wheat. They can't get graham cracker crusts. It's pretty nuts to think that this pie company just can't get a break on all of this. So, Laura, help us walk through some of this. Well, I think all of us have read about 59 more supply chain stories than we ever thought we would just in the past month or two, right? I mean, it's everywhere and it's impacting every industry from automotive to, you know, you name it really. Well, the piece of it that I hadn't really considered until maybe six weeks ago was how for food, which is so dependent upon harvest and, you know, yields and et cetera, that all of these problems might be exacerbated by extreme weather events related to climate change. And so I kind of started digging. And the interesting thing about Mike Martin, the guy who owns Mike's Pies, super smart guy, has been in the business for 30 years. If you've eaten a key lime pie in the Southeast somewhere, you've probably had his pie. Well, so I asked him, I went and visited and put on the hairnet and asked him, So how many of these supply chain problems you're experiencing are related to extreme weather events and climate change? And he had no idea. And then I went to his vendors, you know, the people that were selling him things or failing to sell him things and asked them the question, is some of the supply issue here related to extreme weather? And they didn't know. They kind of said, well, I'm not a commodities expert. I, I can't tell you whether my wheat prices or my wheat shortfall right now has to do with drought and extreme weather in the upper kind of upper Great Plains. So then I had to go to ag experts and say, what do you say? (laughs) And indeed, a lot of the problems that we're seeing right now are related to 
things like drought or extremely high heat or floods and rain or fires in California. So we are seeing the consequences of extreme weather, you know, not just in the dry, hot direction, but in all directions. They sell 1.7 million key lime pies a year. Mike's Pies does. So as you mentioned, yeah, you've probably had some of them before. And, you know, I just went on their website, too, right before we started this. They have a, 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 a note on there. They're not shipping online orders until November 29th. So this is the true impacts of this. They can't make orders uh, or meet the orders that people are asking for. Everything is backed up for them. And one of the specific examples you used was about the graham cracker crumbs that they use as a base for the key lime pie. Tell us about that, because that's super interesting how that played out. Their vendor, they couldn't get anything from their vendor. Well, so I talked to Mike's right-hand woman for a while, and she was, she'd been working with this vendor for 20 years, and they basically ghosted her. So in July, they said, oh, your next order is postponed several weeks because of labor shortages and transportation, all the stuff that we've heard elsewhere. So she comes back to them a few weeks later and says, okay, it's go time. We need these crumbs. I mean, you can't make key lime pie without crumbs. And, you know, as we're getting into the holiday season and, and businesses are ramping up with their orders, she needed them. They, they go through you know, 40,000 pounds of crumbs a, a month. And the vendor said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to postpone for another month. So when I called that vendor, they said some of their issues were labor, people not showing up, transportation, you know, trucking issues. But a lot of it was that graham flour itself. So it's milled from red winter wheat, which there was a significant shortfall of in the United States. But then the problem is there are shortfalls in other parts of the world. So Russia right now is in kind of a hold your own grain situation because they don't want to export and have a shortfall. So places that we might have sourced from ordinarily, they've all had you know, Canada has had significant drought and high heat that impacted the crop of wheat. So then you have issues like graham flour is a regular wheat, you know, a whole wheat product that has more of the bran added back in. So for the people that mill it, you have to mill it specially. And so right now with everyone so beleaguered and their shortfalls all over and record orders for a lot of these companies, the millers themselves are not taking the time to change out machinery for specialty mills. It's a compounded problem. So it's yeah. the yield itself, the harvest itself, coupled with the way it gets made, coupled with labor and transportation problems. So, I mean, this is just one tiny example on a single pie that this guy makes. And then you start talking about vanilla, you know, from Madagascar. And, you know, Madagascar is a place that has been completely decimated by famine in the past couple of years. And so people have moved from the southern part of the island up north and have taken their vanilla plants with them and extreme heat plus extreme moisture, you know, rain when they don't want it has really impacted that crop. And so we're going to start seeing some prices spike there as well. As you mentioned, throughout the pandemic, we've been getting this education on supply chain issues. And it's just so crazy to think how, you know, one little thing across the world impacts, you know, the ripple effects all the way down to Mike's pies, right? And you can't get your favorite key lime pie at that point. Just continuing on with the wheat stuff, honey, right? So those facing weather and uh, smoke-related impacts, the bees can't get the food. They don't make enough honey, right? Uh, Fires and things like that affect it. Everything goes back to something else, and it's so nuts. And, you know, for Mike's pies, he's, he's a pretty big player in the pie game, but one of the people you spoke to, you know, they said, hey, he's no Sarah Lee. He's still a smaller company in this uh, on this chain than, you know, some of these bigger suppliers, which, you know, can absorb those bigger costs, can make it through some of the more difficult times. 
Well, they're also first in line, right? I mean, if you if you're say a company that a ball that makes glass jars and bottles, you are going to satisfy your top five customers before you satisfy those little guys. So you're going to postpone all the little and you know secondary contracts or you know new contracts, and you are going to work hard to satisfy your bread and butter customers. And so we're seeing this play out all over the place. I mean. You know, we're, I've talked to um, craft brewers, separate from pies, but craft brewers right now, yeah, Anheuser-Busch is getting its glass bottles, but there's a shortfall. And so it's the, it's the little guys who often get stiffed in these, in these deals. And, you know, going back to pies, a lot of these things, you know, big consumer packaged goods, you know, kind of the Nestle's and Unilever's and those kind of companies, they have enough contracts with different vendors for cocoa for, you know, you name a, an ingredient that they can pivot and they're big enough contracts that everyone's going to hustle to get them what they need. But when you talk about a small company like this, they work with a hundred different ingredients and maybe have a single vendor for each one. And some of those vendors are sourcing things from China, from India, from places far flung where there are those transportation issues, where there are COVID outbreaks that shut things down for a while. So we're really seeing these stutters that then get heightened by things like uh, short crop yields. And for Mike's Pies, that crumb vendor that they use for 20 years, they did part ways. They had to end up using a vendor now from Canada. So does it change the flavor of the pies? You know, all this stuff really kind of matters there with them and their business. And the pandemic stuff will fade eventually. The supply chain issues related to that will probably fade. But these climate effects are going to be persisting for a long time. Well, I will tell you, I had the pie and it was excellent and I didn't notice any difference with the crust. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm not the great audience for that kind of thing. But no, I mean, you're right that that a lot of these people, it's all about being agile and fleet of foot and being able to pivot. Gosh, that's a word we've overused in the past 18 months. But it's, it's absolutely imperative with these companies. And unfortunately, what it means often is that when you can find a vendor for something that you've had trouble locating, you're going to stockpile it. You're going to you're going to lay in a huge supply. So we have all of this capital tied up in these small companies right now. I mean, I walked through Mike's warehouse and there are holes in there are gaps in his warehouse, but there are also enormous stockpiles of things that he thought, well, my model used to be a you know just in time model, and my now my model now is a just in case model, and I'm having to stockpile two, three, four x what I usually have in stock because I don't know when I can get it next. Well, we wish them luck, and we hope everybody can get their pies. Laura Riley, business of food reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The number one food that really sucks is turkey. I'm sorry to say it. People don't know how to cook it. They put the whole bird in the oven so the white meat and the dark meat don't get cooked evenly. And let's face it, when you're making your Thanksgiving plate, how much turkey do you actually put on there? No, where it's at is the side. Joining us now is Lucas Quan peterson food columnist at the LA Times. Thanks for joining us, Lucas. Hey, thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about the official Thanksgiving food power rankings. We did this before when we talked about French fries. It was a very diverse list. I know you got a lot of mail about it. I'm sure it's the same with this, but it is an important aspect of the day. Let's start off and we'll go in reverse order and we'll end up with the number one top Thanksgiving food. But Lucas, start us off with how you graded these Thanksgiving food staples. As we get into the potentially most divisive 
food family holiday of the year. Everyone has opinions on what Thanksgiving foods are great. We're all packed around a tiny table crammed with different dishes that different people have made and we're having to field passive aggressive comments from our aunts and uncles and cousins and (laughs) what better way to talk about what foods suck and the number one food that really sucks is turkey. I'm sorry to say it. People don't know how to cook it. They put the whole bird in the oven so the white meat and the dark meat don't get cooked evenly. The white meat usually ends up bone dry like you've just got cotton balls in your mouth. And let's face it, when you're making your Thanksgiving plate, how much turkey do you actually put on there? No, where it's at is the sides. So turkey is at the bottom of my list. Yeah, I have to really agree with you. In your article, one very effective question, how often do you see it on menus and sit-down restaurants relative to other proteins? And it's not very often. So I have to agree with you there. I do get some. It's almost a courtesy that you get the turkey and you put some on your plate, maybe put some gravy on it to help. But you're right. Turkey ends up being one of those things. It's just really tough to handle. It's such a big bird a lot of times when you try to feed a big family. And you're right. The uneven cooking really brings it down. Number 19 on your list, very low on the list, is pumpkin pie. I think you're either team pumpkin pie or not. Yeah. I It's never really appealed to me. You kind of eat it once a year. It feels like an obligation rather than something you actually enjoy eating. And frankly, the texture of it, as I said, and the appearance of it, it kind of looks like dog poop. Sorry to say it, but it kind of <laughs> does. And it's really not appetizing. Number 17, cranberries, because cranberries shows up twice on the list. Number 17 and then way up at the top, number five, canned. So let's talk about cranberries fresh and canned. I really would like us to show some love for the canned cranberries. I think they're delicious. You get that kind of satisfying plop on the plate as you're opening up that ocean spray can, kind of makes that satisfying moist wet sound just like a can of dog food, like you're putting it in the dish. And then it's got the dimples around the edge. And I just like that. I just like the tanginess and like the denseness of it. It kind of reminds me of like eating a fruit roll up or like a fruit snack. I know that one uh, definitely could cause some problems in the family. My family usually does a little bit of both. So we'll do the can and they'll do some fresh for those that want it. I think if you can prepare the fresh cranberries well, then those can be good. But I think, again, most people just don't know really how to cook those properly. And why not just go with what you know is going to be good? And that's the canned cranberries. All right, let's get into the top part of the list. Number 10 is roll or biscuits. And I got to say this, one of my favorite parts, for me, it's got to be King's Hawaiian rolls with a little bit of butter on them. Some people will sort of ride or die with biscuits, which I totally understand and respect. But what's good about rolls is that it's great for then making a sandwich with the leftovers the next day. But biscuits are good, too. But you really have to know how to make them. You can't use bread flour. You can't use like a hard wheat flour. You have to use like a soft wheat. Most people don't know that. and They end up making hockey puck biscuits. So rolls are definitely the safer choice. That's why we cut to the chase, like I said, and just use those King's Hawaiians. Okay, number nine on this list green bean casserole. I'd rather just have some green beans with a little bit of salt and pepper on them, nothing else. But I know this is a staple of a lot of families. I think if you grew up eating it, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up outside of the city of Chicago. And so, you know, Midwesterners have a thing about casseroles. We have a thing about canned soup going into a casserole dish and making a hot dish, making tuna noodle casserole, green bean casserole. Green bean casserole, interestingly, was invented by the Campbell Soup Company. And so you get that cream of mushroom soup, 
I mean, yeah, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty sickening, frankly, if you're not really used to eating it. But again, it's just nostalgia and you get the crunchy fried onions on top. So for me, it's a must have. Number six on this list is ham. Now that one is kind of in direct contrast to the turkey. A lot of people do love it though. Who doesn't like a nice ham? I'd like to see more ham. I think some people sort of had an issue with me putting it as a Thanksgiving food and not as a Christmas food, though I tend to think of it as just a holiday thing that people eat on Christmas or Thanksgiving. You get a nice maple glazed ham, honey glazed ham. It's hard to say that ham is underrated, but I think as a holiday dish, I'd much rather see a ham on the table than turkey because I think it's a little bit easier to cook and it's probably going to taste a little bit better. Okay, number five on this list is cranberries. We already talked about that. Number four, cornbread. What are your thoughts on cornbread? Cornbread is one of the few perfect things in life. I mean, like anything, you have to make it well, but it's just a fantastic side dish. It goes with anything. It's a little nutty. It's got great texture. It's a little bit sweet. Put a little bit of whipped honey butter on it. It's really a fantastic thing just to have on the Thanksgiving table. Number three is broccoli gratin. Now, this is one that I, in my own personal experience, have not really eaten too much. I've had it in different forms throughout my life, obviously, but not for Thanksgiving usually. A lot of people hate it. It's another casserole. So it's like broccoli and cheddar cheese and breadcrumbs. So again, the Midwesterner in me just has a very soft spot in my heart for the broccoli gratin casserole. Some people don't like it, but they're wrong. Broccoli gratin is delicious and should be served at every Thanksgiving. All right, we're getting to the top two here. Number two is mashed potatoes and gravy. I love them. I always go back for seconds on this one. It's pretty hard to mess up, really, uh, mashed potatoes. Could you imagine going to Thanksgiving dinner and there's no mashed potatoes and gravy? You would turn around and you would walk out the door. Everyone loves potatoes. People have different techniques. You can do skin on. You can do no skin. I prefer no skin. But I think there's never really a problem with mashed potatoes. And then the great thing about the gravy, no matter how you make the gravy, if you like to do it with the giblets, no matter how you like to make it, you pour that gravy over your entire plate. It just kind of lubricates the whole meal. And who doesn't like mashed potatoes? All right. And the number one Thanksgiving food, and I will gladly agree to this one, it's stuffing. It's so good. It's got tons of flavor in it. It's bread. It is one of the top Thanksgiving foods for sure. Absolutely. Who doesn't like delicious seasoned stale bread? Who doesn't like that baked in the oven? You get those nice crispy edges. Tastes like onions and parsley and sage. It's delicious. You can make stuffing a million different ways. You can make it with cornbread. You can make it with regular bread. You can make it with pretzels. You can make it with crumbled up bits of old bagels. There's any number of ways under the sun to make stuffing. I really do like the recipe in the old Vincent Price cookbook. Vincent Price, who did horror movies and did the scary voiceover for the thriller video. But I just love stuffing. It's really fantastic. Are are you a stuffing inside the bird or outside the bird? I'm definitely inside the bird. Yes, thank you. And it's frankly the one good thing about turkey is to impart flavor into the stuffing. It's really sort of its its only use. But yeah, you got to have stuffing. Lucas Kwan Peterson, food columnist at the LA Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this 
was your daily dive. 